Hello, I'm Rachel Moore. I am a settler of English-Irish descent, and until I moved to Toronto, I lived in a tiny village called Limehouse, Ontario, which is the traditional lands of the Mississaugas of the Credit. And my name is Daniel Riel. I'm a first-generation Canadian. My family immigrated here from Italy in the 1950s, and I was born and raised in Calgon, East Ontario. Uh, we both now live and work in Toronto, which is the traditional land of the Anishinaabe, the Wendat, the Haudenosaunee, and the Mississauga of the Credit First Nation. We are both so grateful for the opportunity to create and perform theater there and all over Ontario. Welcome to Stage Whispers, the podcast about theater in central Ontario. I'm Nancy Chapel. I'm Trudy Romanek. And I'm Kevin Scarf. And today, on this second Friday of the month, we bring you our latest interview episode. Featuring a chat with some of the creative and inspiring people working in theatre today. Hello, everyone. I am here interviewing two lovely young theatre performers, Rachel Moore and Daniel Rial who are recent theatre school graduates. Uh, and I wanted to talk to them about what it has been like over the past two years as uh, people working in the theatre industry. So welcome, Rachel and Daniel. Thank you. Hi, thank you. It's lovely to have you both on the program. And I appreciate you making the time because I know you're both very busy. So let me start off by asking when each of you graduated from the Conservatory Theatre School program that you attended. I graduated in 2018. Yeah, and I graduated in 2019, and we both attended George Brown Theatre School. So when did you decide that you wanted to work in the theatre industry? Where did that motivation come from for you? <clears throat> I don't know if I have like one point that I can say is when I decided I was going to. Uh, my brother is... Um, he, we were up 14 years apart and I've followed in his footsteps in a big way. And he's a, ah. he's a an actor and a theater artist and uh, works in film and television. He's sort of all over the place now. But uh, when I was a kid, I was definitely just going, well, I would like to do that. That seems fun. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, just I, I started taking camps and things and and never, never viewed it as a hobby. I kind of always viewed it as like, and then I'll do this one day for a job. So I, I think... Yeah, the, my answer to that is sort of like, as long as I can remember, and it was just looking up at my brother who was doing it already. Interesting. So it was always training as opposed to being something fun to pick up. Exactly. Yeah. I, I made, you know, the first couple camps, I was like, oh, this is fun. But pretty early on, I was like, and one day I will be doing this and nothing else. Hmm. Interesting. How about you, Rachel? I definitely came to it later. And kind of through the comedy community is what got me into it. I got interested in improv, again, watching my older sister do improv. I thought was the coolest thing ever, you know, something from nothing. And I followed in her footsteps and did improv all through high school, which is funny because she doesn't do anything like that now. Mm -hmm. But she was awesome. And uh, then when I was graduating and deciding what to do after high school, my mom had kind of noticed that that was something I seemed passionate about and encouraged me to take a one-year program at Sheridan and, and kind of see if it was something that I wanted to seriously pursue. So I owe it to her, really. And uh, through that, started going to all different kinds of classes. And then I went to Humber for comedy writing, did stand-up comedy for a couple years. Yeah. Uh, then when I wasn't at booking any auditions, I was kind of like, okay, maybe I need to go back and get some acting training. Mm. <laughs> 
So that sent me to George Brown, which is where we met. Right. And so you graduated in 2018. Yeah. And Dan, you graduated in 2019. So Rachel, you had a year and a half, a year and a bit before the pandemic closed everything down. And Daniel, you had even less than that. So sort of what stage did you each feel like you were at when the closures started to hit in March of 2020? Uh, I definitely felt like I was on an upward incline, which made it so frustrating. I'd been tour managing for about a year uh, at Rosny Theater, which was awesome. Uh, I learned a lot. It was a great way to pay off some of my student loan. And uh, I was also assistant directing at GB. At George Brown. Yeah. Which was really rewarding. Uh, and then in the new year, I'd booked a main stage contract at Theater by the Bay, which I was so excited to start early March of 2020. Mm. So uh, yeah, that's kind of where I was at. It was like going up and then uh, screaming halt, sadly. Yeah. Yeah. I felt similar. I, I you know, I graduated in April and then I, I produced and directed a play in the city in, in May. And then I went up to Theodore Orangeville and I uh, directed their young company um, and then worked on Midsummer Night's Dream with them, which was a huge production they worked on. Did a, a bunch of cool classes in the city. I was really, I was like, oh, good. It's all happening. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, I, I was just gearing up to teach a, um, I actually taught, <laughs> I, I was teaching a March break class at Theodore Orangeville and we went in for the first day on the Monday and at lunch on that first day, it was like, I don't think we're doing this anymore, guys. I don't think uh, uh, we're going to keep working this week. Uh, and then by the end of the day, they had called to cancel that camp. So it was, uh, you know, yeah, it was a really busy time for me. And I felt similar. I was like, ball is rolling. Things are gearing up. And then, uh, yeah, screeching halt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's hard not to do that. If only, or what would it have been, or, you know, all those things. However, I know that you're both very busy right now. So, you know, we, we start a new and on we go. Well, and because it happened to everyone, you know, I've heard story after story after story of booking this and, and I can't help but think of the actors that were about to do their first debut on Broadway or something, you know, like it's, there's always someone who has it worse. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So let's just talk about, you've alluded to a few projects. So let's just talk about the work that you have done for, we'll stick with the sort of Simcoe County theaters, like or Theater Orangeville, Theater by the Bay, kind of like the non-GTA <laughs> theater companies. So let's talk about some of the work that you have done for those companies, either just leading into the pandemic or actually during COVID times. Sure. During the pandemic, one of the first things that I did that I think would fall into that category is I got my first grant from the town of Halton Hills, which is ah. the municipality where I'm from, to develop a play that I'd written a draft of already a little bit further using local actors and do a reading of that over Zoom and kind of use them as a, a tool for my development, which is very rewarding and connected me with artists in my hometown that I never would have met otherwise. Can you tell us what that play was called? Yeah, sure. It's called Welcome Back. Okay. It's the first play that I ever wrote. I started writing it in my third year of theater school. And it actually was the project that I pitched to Theater by the Bay that got me the indie producers co-op. Ah. Just very nervous. I'd never told another human soul about my idea for that story when I pitched it to Ian and Alex and Leah. Yeah, it was, it was really rewarding. It's set in a hometown and kind of has that hometown feel. It's about a, a high school reunion. Uh, but it also has a lot of streaks of what I'm interested in, which is 
funky genres and sci-fi and there's portals to another dimension and things like that. Oh my, <laughs> just throw that in at the end. Okay. Yeah, I'm like, how do I explain? Welcome back. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's always been really rewarding. I hope to see it produced one day, but it's a bit ambitious. So it's been nice to do readings and productions or uh, development of, pardon me, because I've been able to see the look on the actors' faces when it's like, okay, we're chugging along doing a, a reunion thing. And then it's like, oh, 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 we're doing this now. Right. So that was really great and mm -hmm. such a great opportunity to, to work with the community where I'm from for the first time, really. I uh, did a couple Zoom things with Theatre by the Bay, uh, the emerging directors. I was an actor for that. Right. And we also did a workshop of Green Skies, which was the main stage production that was going to go on in, in 2020 that had to get canceled. Yeah, during the pandemic, it's such a blur. Yeah, it's hard to put the pieces back together because we were all just coping, I think, right? And I think it's kind of this spring would be my marker for when I started transitioning back into normal theater, for lack of a better word. Right. Now, I'm remembering... Uh, yeah, and I guess it was this spring that you did a show in Toronto, the soccer show, right? Yeah, the Wolves, that's right. Good memory. I just remember that you were in rehearsals at the same time as you and I were working on something else. Yeah, so. it was a hell of a first step back into the theater community because I was cast as a swing. Mm. And I had to learn three different tracks. And depending on if anyone got sick or injured, I would have to hop in as one of the three different tracks. And I think I remember you telling me that two of those tracks often had scenes together. So you might be on one side of a conversation or argument or whatever, or another time you might be required to be on the other side, depending on who might be sick or away. Or Yeah, the way the playwright wrote it, it's, it's about a bunch of girls who are in high school. So she's written it very true to life, where it's a lot of people uh, get excited and talk over each other and there's three conversations going on at once so when Dan was helping my, me run my lines actually there were points when he said how do you read this <laughs> because yeah just as you said Trudy there would be times when my cue line would be a cue for a different line in two different conversations uh. in two different tracks so the line would be you know last Saturday and I would respond this way if I was playing number two and this way if I was playing number eight. So it was certainly a mental exercise and uh, uh, invaluable experience to have accomplished that. That just is mind boggling to me. <laughs> and anything else that you wanted, Rachel, to talk about in terms of work that you had done during the pandemic or just coming out of it? I think the the umbrella over the pandemic for me was that I went into writing more. I was always interested in writing and balancing that with my acting, but when theaters closed because audiences couldn't come for safety reasons, it was really nice to have that to be able to lean back on and dive into. And I know a lot of artists that I'm friends with who are actors and only actors. I remember feeling like I was in a more fortunate position because I had that other interest to to dive into. And now you had the time to do it too, right? Yeah. So how about you, Dan, in terms of work that you have done in the area either before and during the pandemic? Yeah, I, I guess the most uh, applicable answer here is is my work with Theodore Orangeville. And I, I've worked with Theodore Orangeville 
since I was 10 years old. Oh my. They are sort of woven into uh, my, my professional career. I, I did a main stage show with them. Yeah, when I was 10, I, I was in a, a Christmas story with them. And I played a uh, little Schwartz, who is, uh, if you're familiar with the story, I'm, I'm a friend who bullies him into sticking his tongue on a frozen pole. You? Not you. Not a bully. Oh. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was a lot of fun. That was uh, sort of my intro into the professional world. And then I've been with them ever since. And I, I taught classes with them. Uh, and I was a ca- an academy director with them for their young company for, uh, I think, six summers. Uh, so I, I, I work, I've worked quite a bit with them. What I love about their sort of youth training is their team is fully professional. So they have all of their production team working on these young company shows where the kids are paying, or the young actors, I should say, are paying a tuition to be there, which means that, or which meant that when I was working on the other side of the table, I got a lot of really practical uh, experience working in a professional room and, and professional um uh, production meetings and stuff, which really pushed forward my, uh, well, just how I'm able to sell myself. I'm, I'm able to do this. Uh, and since then I've worked, I, I've directed some of their main stage shows or, or Theodore Orangeville's uh, Midsummer Night's Dream was the first one I worked on. And that was, um, that was right before the pandemic. So that was a, that was an interesting project. It was the largest production in Theodore Orangeville's history. And it had uh, over 40 actors Mm. And their whole idea was inclusion and diversity in terms of ability. So there were actors from their young company programs, so actors under 17, professional actors from the community, equity actors, young actors that had never worked at the theater but were and were non-equity. So we had professional actors in that, in that capacity. We had uh, like a 30-piece choir uh, from the community. Wow. Saying it was a really, really massive show. So I was associate director on that show with my friend Colin Simmons. He was the director. And uh, that was, yeah, a, a beast of a show that we did at the Island Lake uh, Conservation Area. And they had this beautiful 40 by 60 stage out there. So it was a really, really special show that kind of, you know, showcased and included all of the aspects of Theater Orangeville's programming. Uh, there were actors from their Tope and CPOS programs, which are uh, creative partners on stage and Theater Orangeville exceptional players. And both of those uh, programs focus on working with actors with developmental differences. So uh, mm. on the autism spectrum, actors with Down syndrome. So that was a really special thing, I think, to include uh, those actors, but as well as, you know, our young company actors and everything in this this show that that promoted equity among those groups nice. so it was a really really special project and uh and then uh at the end of that year uh the pandemic started just right at the top of the next year and but i've been lucky with my relationship with the orangeville that they've had me with them uh, quite a bit through the pandemic i uh, i helped them uh, produce some variety shows that they filmed and, and sent out that way i acted in a theater for young audiences touring show with them called Max the Magnificent, which was written and directed by Chandra Pepper. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, in uh, this past, in, in March of this year, which is, you know, them really starting to creep back into their regular performances and they've, they've moved away from their virtual sort of COVID world. I did probably their last COVID performance, which was a, um, I directed a TYA with them called uh, It's Only a Shadow, a self-defense story. And that was a fun 
that was my first equity directing gig. And again, Theodore Orangeville's really supported me on my career and has given me all these really lovely opportunities. But that was a touring show that we filmed and sent to schools as a little movie. Yeah, so that's, that. I guess, in the area that is pre and during the pandemic, I've had a lot of fun work and uh, I'm really grateful to Theodore Orangeville for giving me all those opportunities. Mm. Help me keep my head on in these past two years. Well, I mean, and that's no small thing. I think that there were an awful lot of people in the performance industry who were just at a loss, you know, with everything just slamming shut. It's like, oh, okay, we've talked to people who decided to teach themselves to play the piano and who went back to songwriting and, you know, just trying to find something that felt worthwhile to fill their time. So having had those projects, I'm sure was a huge thing. And same with you, Rachel, being able to just turn to your writing as something that still feels very productive. It, it's almost as though everyone that we've talked to has had to choose something that will provide them with that creative outlet because they don't have their normal creative outlet. Yeah, and I can't believe I forgot this, but our, our first opportunity to work together, Trudy, on the Simcoe County Theater Festival, mm. which is so enjoyable. And my first opportunity to work with Dan was back in 2018, right? When you took part in that play reading of my play. And then during the pandemic, you did the online play reading of my play as well. So yeah, yeah, we've crossed paths uh, quite a few times. And I can't wait for the next reading. You just got to shoot me <laughs> an email and I'll be there. <laughs> it's funny, I was talking to um, Duncan, who, who read opposite you in the online reading, and he's of the same mind. So maybe we'll have to resurrect that play one day. <laughs> we'll be <do> there. <laughs> so looking, I mean, we've just talked about things that you did do during the pandemic. We talked about where your career trajectories were headed when all of the closures happened. So when you look at this, what people are calling the great intermission, when you look at that as a whole, how do you think those closures have impacted your career? And do you think there are any positives or is it mostly negatives or how sort of in the grand scheme of things, how do you think that's impacted you? Yeah, it's <laughs> positives is an interesting angle to to <laughs> look at this whole thing with. But you but I, I do think there have been, I mean, one of the one of the positives for me was I got to put my life on pause for a second and uh, kind of pull back and take a look at what I want to be doing and the kinds of projects I want to be, you know, working in. And, yeah, like how to angle my career. I got a good little step back from that. And in the pandemic, I, I started working on projects that I wouldn't necessarily work on before. I'm not a writer like Rachel. I'm, I'm not that. That's not the world I come from. But now I've started working on some projects and things that have come up from just the fact that I was home with nothing to do. Nice. So um, a positive for me has been, yeah, just some time to go like, okay, well, what else can I do? And, and how else can I explore my myself? And yeah, where do I want to be in a year? Because we're not guaranteed time anymore. Absolutely. So how am I going to set myself up? So in a year, I'm in this place. That's the one big positive is I had the time to do that. And on top of that, and I'd say this is a positive for me, but also something I've seen is theater is coming back now with like a, just a bit more energy behind it. I felt like, you know, theater, we, we were, were spinning our wheels and trying to figure out what, what to do with it. And now what's nice, it's like, oh, we can just kind of come back and, and touch down and 
be in a room with other people again. Mm. So it reinvigorated what going out to theater feels like for me and what performing in theater feels like. I'm more grateful and I'm more aware of what it is than I was beforehand. Mm. Interesting. How about you, Rachel? Yeah, I feel similarly to Dan on both counts. I think that career-wise, it is hard to find a silver lining. And like you said, Trudy, it's hard to resist those what-ifs of the career that would have happened if there wasn't a pandemic. But I think in terms of personal development, it was a really important and significant time, like it was for everyone, a time of reflection and you just are put on pause and you have the time to ask yourself, is this still what I wanna be doing? And what parts of it make me happy? And am I doing it the way that I wanna be doing it? I think that time was invaluable. And I know that having that time to pause and read and look critically at how I write and not feel like I was rushed into finding the next job or taking the next step. And not only that, but my community around me also being on pause and not feeling that sense of competition that can always be under the surface was also really valuable, I think. For sure. It's almost like everyone got a chance to hold every aspect of their life at arm's length and really take a good look at it and say, how much does this matter to me and for what reasons? And I can choose to pick that up again or I can choose to put that down. Yeah, it was like everyone came up for air in a way. Mm. And I think that's why we saw this wave of people moving out of the city or, you know, getting divorced or getting married or having a baby or, you know. Yeah, lots of babies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that might have been a few factors. But, <laughs> but yeah, I think it was everyone took a hard look at their life and and had the time to make changes if they wanted to. So that's kind of amazing about it, a silver lining. Yeah, I think that's true. I notice myself now that things are I will say beginning to normalize because none of us really knows where we're sitting in this progression that is COVID. But as the things are beginning to normalize and live theater is beginning to happen again at full capacity, the question that sits with me is what are we taking from this time? And I think that self-reflection is there, although I find myself booking myself up again, which I swore I would not do once we got this chance. So, and I think also as an industry, so many people did so many really interesting, innovative things because they had to during the pandemic. I wonder what each of you thinks or sees in terms of people carrying those things forward, or are we just eliminating these two plus years and going right back to where we were before. Hmm. Well, I'd like to think that some of it's being carried forward, but you're, but I feel, I feel similar. I feel like as soon as I'm able to, I'm all of a sudden very busy. Mm -hmm. um, something I know I've talked about a bit working on, um, on Mary of Shanty Bay right now has been, Oh, well, all of this was normal for me two years ago, and now I'm tired. <laughs> and now this is harder to do. And it wasn't. So uh, we've talked a lot about, and we were something that I think is a, was a byproduct of, of the fact that we were all kind of feeling that, like that is, you know, a typical rehearsal process is two weeks and a tech week, and then you're, then you're going. And with Mary of Shanty Bay, we had a really lovely seven-week process where mm. we worked on half days and rehearsed for a very long time uh, before getting it 
into the theater or into the church, I should say. <laughs> so I, I think like something that I felt us all talk about and pull forward from the pandemic is maybe we do need a little bit more time. We can't rush this stuff. And I don't know if that's universal, but that was a, a gift was that everyone in the room for this show felt that way where we were a bit like, okay, you know, let's, let's take it slow. Let's find this again and let's figure out what we're doing again. Mm. To your hiatus does that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just what I felt in this process and what I hope to take forward in my life is just to slow down just a little bit. Just take the foot off the gas a tiny bit so you can kind of enjoy and breathe things in instead of really, really quickly wading through it and then you're on the other side. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think on that, something I hope is carried forward is I think people, actors especially, but theater creators in general, have less of a fear of advocating for themselves than they did before, which is interesting. I think it is just as saturated and just as competitive as it's always been. But I think that with all this time to think, people aren't as scared to advocate for the things they feel that they need. And maybe the biggest silver lining I've seen in this pandemic is people taking the time to consider accessibility. Like working at Roseneath, they took the time to take their archival videos of shows basically and get ASL uh, and deaf interpretation done on them. Nice. So that was something that was amazing to watch and see the different YouTube videos and what was where there was more of a need uh, and things like that. I think that that those conversations are happening all over the place now in a way that I would I would rarely once in a while I'd see an ASL interpreter at a show. But now seeing the ASL and deaf interpretation so that it's that that extra level of, of care even just things being online instead of in physical spaces where some people can't go. So many spaces in Toronto because space is so limited and so valuable don't have uh, ramps or elevators. And that just means that that entire show is inaccessible and lost to so many people. And I think that that is a real silver lining of things being on Zoom and being recorded and available in a different way. So I hope we carry that forward and don't just forget about it now that most people can can go back into the spaces it's like let's not forget the people who are included finally yeah and I think that will be interesting to see I think you know we're all aware of the diversity things that have come to the fore over these past two years and I think everybody is hoping that all of that does not fade from being a front of mind for theater companies and society as a whole I think there's a lot of us who will be watching to see just what stays at the front. But I've also attended a number of really innovative performance formats. So I'll be curious to see if that kind of innovation continues or if it's just that much, not easier, but convenient to fall back into just the traditional here are actors on a stage, audience comes, sits in these chairs. Is it just so much more familiar to do that, that now that we can, we will go back to just doing that? And I guess we'll just have to wait and see about those things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I want to ask the question that I'm never supposed to ask, which is what's next for you? You're never supposed to ask a performer that, but I'm asking this in terms of personal growth as well as projects that you know Rachel you've been talking about some writing projects or 
training. I know that people do all kinds of things that they carve out time in their lives for. So I'm asking about all of that as well as maybe you're moving right on to another gig. I don't know. We know that, Dan, you've got Mary of Shanty Bay, the rest of the run in Barrie, as well as the run in Collingwood ahead of you. But I wonder if either of you is willing to just give us a sense of what is on your horizon for whatever aspect of your life you're you're thinking of. So yeah, I, I've got two more weeks of, of Shanty Bay. So I've been bubbled in that. So I've had a lovely, like, not really thinking too, too much further career-wise. But I mentioned this earlier, I've, I've started to get into writing and I have two other projects. Uh, Theodore Orangeville is, is, I'm working on a piece with them right now that's going to be about the history of Orangeville. And they've already given me a bit of support for that project. So as soon as this ends, I need to kind of provide them with, with some <laughs> product. So that's kind of the next thing that I'm working on. And, and the, the growth for me is a bit like, okay, cool. I've, I've done a bunch of directing. I've done a bunch of acting. And I'd like to see if I can switch gears into creating from the ground up in a, in a bigger way. So that's going to be the next few months of my life. Cause that's the most, the next thing on my horizon is that project. So I'm really gearing into writing and creating in a way that I haven't before. So that's going to be uh, challenging and fun for me. And that's the mm-hmm. thing that I'm kind of looking forward to. Right. Um, on the horizon for me is granting season, the impending doom of the many, many grants that happen this time of year. So that'll be kind of the grind in the next few months that and a couple auditions and, and the constant hustle of that. But honestly, right now kind of feels like a maintenance phase. I, I'm taking vocal lessons and I, I don't know if I told you this, I challenged myself to read, try to read like a play for every business day. Wow. February to varying degrees of success. I've read over 80 plays since February. They'd all be one big blur for me. <laughs> I take notes. <laughs> I've been writing a ton. Yeah. I'm taking vocal lessons, which I've really been enjoying it feels like I'm kind of hunkering down for the fall and the winter to write on things that I haven't had time to work on this summer and do some some things for me after the three wonderful shows I got to work on this uh, past spring and summer. Nice. So the question that we have asked all of our guests is to share, if they're willing, um, a magical theater moment, which can be a moment you experienced as an audience member backstage, on stage, anything that speaks to the magic of theater to you? I feel like the experience of theater as an audience member and as a performer is so different. So maybe I'll share a tiny moment of each of those. Sure. As a performer, what comes to mind is the processes that have been magical that I've been a part of, the moments when I've been pushed into doing something that I absolutely don't believe in myself being able to do. And then it ends up creating something from nothing in a really magical way and being able to contribute and startle myself and entertain others has been something that keeps me coming back. Mm. The show that comes to mind that I was an audience member for was a show that I saw in the fringe years ago by Convergence Theater, which is Aaron Willis and Julie Tepperman's company. It's called The Unending, which is sort of a play that's sectioned into three parts and you move from a diner called aunties and uncles which I think sadly is closed now to a garage down the street and then to a kind of garden party and the first part is Strindberg 
and the second part is Beckett. And then the third part is an original piece by Julie. Oh, wow. Uh, so I remember just being so incredibly impressed at that decision to showcase her work with Strindberg and Beckett. I remember being so jealous of that bold choice. <laughs> but also she was in it and uh, acted beautifully and just the magic of being transported and shown three very different pieces of theater that were so clearly connected through a theme it was very special. And I've thought about it many, many times since. Nice. And how about you, Dan? Oh, okay. Well, I'll do both too, because I guess we're doing both. Um, <laughs> that's interesting. Like as an actor, I have so many different experiences that I think are magic, but I something happened this this weekend with Mary Ashanti Bay that reminds me of what I think is really fun about being on stage. Uh, and we just had, we had a run of the show where everything went wrong, or at least for me, everything went wrong. I had a pocket watch that broke and props weren't where they're supposed to be and lines were dropped and things were just going wrong. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. I mm -hmm. love this. Because I, especially with the, pro with the process this long, my biggest struggle and my biggest action of, of doing the show has been like, stay present. Don't fall asleep and stay present and make sure you're listening. Because it's really easy to do in two week processes because it's kind of like, that's all I can do is listen to you and hope my lines come out. But with this, it's been a bit of like, how do I re-engage in uh, staying awake? So when things go wrong, it's like, oh, fun, cool. Now I'm awake. <laughs> now I don't need to. I don't need to work at all at that. And that's as it. That's for me like kind of magic of being on stage. I'm like, it, you are doing this thing in front of people, and it's the first time they're seeing it. So it's so easy to forget. But when you go like, no, but I'm, I can. If I drop this, they see that, and oh, what does that mean? And and. I just find mistakes so much fun. And uh, there was another quick one when I was in, I remember in third year, we had curtains at the foot of the stage that opened and closed. And at the top of act two, I came on stage and the curtains were pinned together at the top and two actors were holding them open because something had happened at intermission and the curtains were broken. So the entire show, we all took turns holding the curtains open for the people who were doing the scene. And and I had like the first big moment of that. I was playing um, uh, Beaumarchais. There's actually Mark Brownell's play, uh, Mr. Dayan as a Woman, that was directed by Sue Minor. And uh, Beaumarchais, who is a real life playwright, came out and uh, he's supposed to be larger than life. And I came out and the curtains were closed. And I was like, what is going on? <laughs> but it woke us all up in a really fun way. And the game of that show was like, who's available to hold the curtain? That I was anything like that. I'm like that's magic for me on stage. When I don't have to act, when I don't have to act, I'm just surviving in a circumstance. It's a lot more fun. So yeah, and then I, I don't as an as an audience member, I want to be there for that. <laughs> like as an audience member, what I find really inspiring and fun is you know we're all we all have our phones an inch away from our face now. We're all used to. Uh, convenience and used to seeing the perfect version of something on Netflix or whatever. And we're, we're starved of uh, communication. We, you know, even, even what we're doing now is over the, over the internet, every aspect of our lives now is, is boiling into this. So theater forces you for, you know, two hours or whatever to check in and stay present. And then when something goes wrong, it's like, oh, we're all people, and you're a, and and I get to watch you figure something out. That's fun for me. That's the magic of theater. Is that it, it's immediate in the sense that it's just happening right in front of you, but it's not immediate in the way that all of this is, all of our cell phones and things. Right. 
That, I, I love that because there's that sense of the actors on stage have to keep that ball in the air, right? Yeah. However you can. And so, as you say, as an audience member, you're almost watching the wheels turning in their minds as they improvise to figure out how to keep this, you know, suspension of his belief running. Exactly. Yeah. It reminds the audience that it's live. <laughs> exactly. And that there's a value, like your performers are doing something that's really hard. <laughs> you know, it's not just, oh, yes, we come out, we say the same lines. It's you got to make it work regardless of what happens. Yeah. I don't know if you saw, Trudy, the night where the robot fell in Barry Europa. No, I was there the next night. <laughs> but I certainly heard about all the improvising that you and Stephen Dobby did to keep that going, <laughs> as well as the robot controllers themselves, who never expected to be on stage. <laughs> Honestly, shout out to that robotics class for saving the day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's nice. It gives you an opportunity to kind of be more connected with the audience. You know, it's like you're all in it together. They want you to succeed. You want to succeed. Isn't it interesting, though, that we try to make the performances flawless? Mm -hmm. And yet these special moments that we're talking about are when things are beyond your control and not flawless, but real. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you both for joining us today. I know that our audience members will be really interested to hear what your journeys have been like with this pandemic wedged right into the middle, but it's very clear that you're both very talented people who are often on your way. So I want to wish you both all the best and thank you again just for joining me today. Oh, thanks thank so you. much, Trudy. Yeah, we were both really looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah, no, this is so much fun. Thank you for having us. Stage Whispers is a podcast created by three Southern Ontario friends, and we've loved bringing you theater-related news and conversations over the past two-plus years. We want to extend tremendous thanks to the many fabulous and fascinating guests who have shared their time with us. It's been a blast, but the future and its exciting challenges beckon. So, break a leg and marriage to you all.